You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Managemental Podcast, a weekly discussion on hot topics in the music biz for the up-and-comers, the brand newbies, the beginners, and aspiring rock stars of tomorrow. This podcast is propelled by your input and feedback, so please rate and review and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. I am your host, Mr. Blasco, and as always, I am joined by my good friend, the co-host from the other coast, Mr. Mike Mount. What up, Blasco? I love that I am your co-host, because this is, in and of itself, a claim to fame, my brother. <laughs> in the last episode, we discussed EPKs and press kits and the best practices for building them. That was a great episode, so check it out if you haven't already. Today's episode is sponsored by our buddies at rockabilia.com go check them out for the awesomest collection of officially licensed band merch on the planet use our code pc jabberjaw and get 15 percent off your entire order so something interesting came about last week in relation to to rockabilia and if you listen to this show regularly you know that you know as the owner of jabberjaw uh, I'm the one who was chatting with Rockabilia, the one that was able to facilitate the deal to get them to come in and not only sponsor the network, but the individual shows. So I'm really appreciative. So I'm talking with the guy and, you know, he's been awesome, real supportive. I'm looking through the site, just kind of, you know, picking his brain on some stuff, curious about how they do business. Uh, and, and he says, hey, do me a favor, go in and pick any one item that you want going to walk me through like the checkout process just so i'm a little bit more educated yep so i'm sitting there thinking dude you know one item like okay let me think of a band what shirt do i want to wear you know i don't know i'm not you know the guy who's wearing acdc shirts or you know def leppard shirts uh yeah i'm a punk dude but like what punk band am i willing to wear i don't care about black flag so i think about a band that i actually really like band called Modest Mouse. Not sure okay. if you're familiar with them, not sure if you care about them, it doesn't really matter. I like them. So I type into the search bar Modest Mouse. The only thing that comes up is a poster. So I'm like, dude, why don't you have a Modest Mouse shirt in here? And he, he starts to tell me, well, you know, and this is what, you know, this is where, you know, it's not like I don't want Modest Mouse shirts in here, but the way they do their business is different. You know, they, they, they don't have like a large company that is selling stuff out to to you know websites and, and whoever else so i know the manager of modest mouse he was bc guy really rad dude i was like i hadn't talked to him in years gave me the opportunity to reach out to him you know i didn't say hey you know why can't we find a modest mouse shirt in here and by the way i ended up settling on a minor threat shirt um so i'm, <laughs> I'm waiting for that one in the mail still 
Uh, anyways, I get on the phone with the dude who manages Modest Mouse. Really rad dude. Hadn't caught up in a long time. He explains to me that they do all of their... They own all of their own business, if you will. Right? So all of the things that go along to support a band, i.e. their merch, like, they don't outsource it. They own it. Yes, they have people who aren't in the band who run it, but those people are employees of, you know, the band. So it's this really interesting conversation, and he talks about how they like to do really unique items. Everything is, not everything's handmade, but there's a lot of stuff that's just really cool and unique, and he's like, dude, and if you want a Modest Mouse shirt, I'll send you one. But... We got into this interesting debate, and, and and everybody out there, you know, this this ties into the bigger thing, right, of, of what Belasco and I are talking about today. You know, he, he essentially says, I don't really need to sell to Rockabilia because, you know, we're selling a ton of shirts on our own. We get to control all this stuff. We control the price. You name it. And I just posed him, well, what if selling to Rockabilia allowed you to sell, you know, twice as many shirts, right? Isn't that presumably going to make you twice as much money. You know, I don't remember what his exact answer was, but it was sort of like, yeah, we might make more money, but we don't really need the money. He didn't say that. I actually said it for him. Uh, Yeah. You know, and it it ties in with, you know, he didn't know I ordered a Minor Threat shirt from Rockabilia. Again, this guy's from D.C. He comes from the world of Discord Records. He mentions, you know, we do things... And, and Discord is, you know, Ian McKay, Minor Threat, Fugazi, runs his own label. And I sort of joke, what an awesome place it must be to be able to do whatever the hell you want because you don't care about the money, right? Yeah. Like, the money's not the driver. You don't need to sell twice as many shirts because you're comfortable because all of your other things that you're doing have, you know, uh, allowed you and your band and the people who work with you to make a living so guys this hopefully ties in to to what we're going to cover but it all came about because of my relationship with rockabilia so support them you're supporting us uh they got 500,000 items in that store they do have a modest mouse poster uh if anybody cares about modest mouse and wants a poster you can go over there but you know check them out they've been great to us uh we, we would like for you to support them because of their support from us. So. Yes. Uh, and today's episode is also sponsored by the cool kids over at bandzoogle.com, where you can build a stunning website for your music in minutes. Try it free for 30 days and be sure to use the promo code MENTAL to get 15% off your first year of subscription. So, Blasco, I was on the phone. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a story that ties in with uh, Banzoogle this week. However, you know, check out episode 55 where Dave Cool from Banzoogle was was on Managemental. We covered one of the blogs that he wrote recently. Really cool site. Great resource for artists. Uh, you know, founded by musicians, run by musicians, and. If you are in need of a website now or at any point in the future, act fast. Use our code MENTAL for 15% off. Yes. This week we talk about if it is possible to sustain a career by being in a band. This is going to be killer, so let's get mental.
sustainability and making money. Yeah, so Mike, I uh, ran across an article, um, and uh, you know, I mean, I feel like it's uh, a really good topic since I figure most people listening to this show are looking to build a business or you know build a career in music, whether it's as a musician or as a as a manager or you know what what have you, right? So I found this article that I figured we could kind of reference along the way of today's episode and it's it's from a guy in a band who has his opinions of whether or not um he can sustain a a career and and his band is relatively successful you know they put their their sign they put out records they go on tour all over the world and um so anyway the the interviewer his first question to him is wait 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 one 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 one, one sec one sec because I want to, I do want to comment just, just out of the gates. Like, I think this is what I'm excited about talking about. This is for those who aren't in the middle of doing it. I think there's a vast difference between perception and reality. Right. And that's part of what the music business is and has been. You hear the term fake it till you make it right. Or, Mm. you know, and it's, yeah, there's a lot of outsiders or people that do want to make a career, whether it is as a musician or as a professional that, that look at a lot of the bands that we work with, that we, you know, reference and think, wow, these guys must be living high on the hog. Um, and I think that's rarely the case. And so that's why I'm excited to talk about this is, you know, we're not here to bust people's bubble, we're here to talk about what is reality and you know what you need to think about to to make sure that if your goal is to make a living off of your art off of your band that you know you're thinking about all of these things from the start no doubt um so he kicks off the article with this question will there ever be a metal band that sells as many records as metallica did Okay, I've got a question for you. Before you answer that question, why do we care? I'm not blowing up your spot. I'm saying, why is that the interviewer's question, right? Right, because it, it, it will there be another metal band that sells as many records as Metallica? I so, don't I, So I presumably, don't know. I, so I think, right, he's asking because Metallica sells a shit ton of records. Records make you money. Yes. They also, by selling records, that means you have fans. By having fans, you go on tour, you go on big tours, you make money. You sell a shit ton of merchandise, you make money, right? So I guess the reason he asked the question is, what's the reality of anybody making as much money as Metallica, who is the biggest metal band, right? Yeah. I mean, look, the reality is Metallica doesn't even sell as many records as Metallica used to. So, but you don't need to sell as many records that Metallica currently does or has to have a career, to have a sustainable career in this business. So look, I mean, the the basic answer, well, here's, here's an interesting article that I also ran across. Uh, Lars, Ulrich was recently interviewed and the question was why was Metallica 
the biggest of the big four bands, right? And it's for those of you that don't know what the big four is, Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax in that order. And why did Metallica rise above the other three, you know, more than all three, all three of the others, really, in reality, right? And his answer was simply that he felt that they paved their own way, that they didn't, they didn't consider themselves part of a scene. And even though they were initially part of the new wave of British heavy metal, that they, they took more risks than other bands. And, and a lot of problems I feel like with metal in particular is that it, it feels so, it feels so like confining of like, you can't go outside of the box in fear that you're going to lose your credibility. And I feel that Metallica took a lot of risks, some of which were great and some of which that weren't so great. But at the end of the day, his answer was that they're a band that was willing to take more risks than other bands. And in hindsight, it worked for them. Yeah, which I think is an interesting point. You know, though I am, you know, familiar with, Metallica and their catalog. I am not the super fan uh, that you know, or don't have as in depth of knowledge as as you know you do. Probably, at what point do you think you know? Just from you know looking at that catalog, did they start taking risks? Right? Was it from the beginning, and they were okay to take risks at the beginning because there's nothing to lose, or was it once they hit a certain level of you know, comfortability, if you will, or they had a baseline that was large enough that even when they took risks, because they definitely had some fumbles, right? They're, they're, they, they weren't going to fall all the way to, to the bottom. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, when did they start taking risks in your mind? I felt like they started taking risks right away. I mean, the fact that they lived initially in, LA in Hollywood where the scene was very much glammy and they were like no man like we're into like Angel Witch and Iron Maiden like we're not we're not down with with the glam stuff so you know and and then only then did they that they got clipped did they move up north and you know that they found themselves in a more comfortable situation there with like-minded you know, like-minded scene, what have you. But even then, right, but then second record, you know, they started putting ballads or ballady kind of things in there that, you know, a, a band like, uh, you know, another band like Slayer or Megadeth or Anthrax, you know, they, they weren't they weren't covering that territory that early in their careers. So oh, oh. I, feel, I feel like they were taking risks right right away. Are they, are they the best of the big four, right, to you? Uh, the, uh, my favorite band of the big four is slayer right however metallica did have a lot to do with my upbringing as a guy getting into metal and being inspired to want to play in my own bands right for sure and so based on the fact that you prefer slayer over metallica other than risk taking other than all this other stuff why did metallica rise to the place where they were able to sell the most records was it because not only the risk taking but the music that they actually wrote was, I guess, more digestible by, you know, the masses. You know, honestly, I don't have an answer for that, nor does Lars. You know, he he can only 
look at it as we all can and we can go like, look, is it better? I don't know. It's subjective. I mean, and, and does that even matter? It's like for some reason it just connected on a much bigger level. And is it the, you know, is it the black record? Is it master of puppets? Like where along the way did, did they get, you know, get, get so far ahead of the race? Um, we, you know, who knows? It, yeah, it just, I mean, it just I, connected on a bigger level. To me, you know, as a guy who likes both those bands, I definitely, you know, and I've I've had a lot of conversations about this recently with some of my artists that I'm trying to to steer in a direction of positioning themselves in the best place for the masses to catch on, right? Which, when dealing with artists that isn't necessarily always in line with what they want to do artistically. Uh, you know, so they might do things that make them feel good tech, you know, on a technical basis that is going to be lost on, you know, the average listener. And so I guess my point is, I would say that Metallica has written, you know, music that over the course of their career, that's more digestible to the mainstream than Slayer did, but you're right. It doesn't make it better in, other than in a subjective sense. Totally. Right. Um, anyway, the moving on. The article <laughs> no, no. Goes, so, so will there be another band that sells as many records? No, but you're right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's that's not, it's not, like I said, Metallica doesn't even sell as many records as they used to. So Yeah, but, that, I, okay, so, so the point I was trying to make is, regardless of selling records, what we're going to get into next of selling t-shirts, selling tour tickets. A huge part of it is not whether or not the music is, is great objectively, right? Technically proficient, produced, uh, sonically well. All of those things are, 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 of course, what you strive towards, but does it connect with the masses? And is there a way to, to position yourself where you give yourself the best shot, and is there any guarantee that if you write a song in a certain way, that it's going to actually connect? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, look, man, if we're, if we're talking big four, it's it's not it's not, and the subject here is, you know, can you make a sustainable career in music? Now, all of these bands, all those bands, got started a long time ago. Even even the band that the, the interview with this article, I mean, his band is you know, a, a decade old, right? So these been these bands have been around for a while. So I think the real question here is 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 that is it possible to start now, right? Given the scope of the music business that we're in and all the changes that it's currently experiencing, is it possible to build a sustainable career in music if you're just getting started now, right? Um, and so the next question is is how do people that are in bands what do they need to do differently nowadays than these bands that started, say, 10, 20 years ago, right? So what would be your thoughts on that? Well, let, let, me, let me step back for a second, and I apologize that I'm doing this, but I, I, there's some things in my mind that I, you know, that I'm, I hope the listeners you know, uh, appreciate, but I, this is what I love about doing this, is your experience is different than my experience, right? Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, of your clients in your 13-year history and of your current clients now, how many make a living, you know, 
from their band? Uh, all of my bands make a living from being in a band. Like no, no one that I work with has a day job. Yeah. Um, uh, right, right now. Correct. But over the course of your management career, not everyone has been able to survive solely from the band. Correct. Well, I mean, not, I mean, it, not out of the gate. I mean, okay. no, I, it, I mean, it's interesting because it, it, I would say in my career, right. It's a very small percentage. Now, mind you, I've spent a lot of time developing artists, you know, and you're right. It, you've got to build to a certain point, but it it's one of those where, w- yeah, I mean, what is reality and why, if I look at the artists that I've managed, you know, what was the difference between the one or two or three at any given time that were really able to comfortably live, uh, you know, from their their band and those that had to hold down day jobs or had to hold down seasonal jobs in between tours and and all of the rest. Yeah. And I mean, look, it's whenever you're first getting started, I mean, it's just, it just makes sense that there is no money, right? I mean, it's just, you're just not there yet. Um, But once money starts to come in, the way to make a living is to make sure that you keep your expenses as low as possible. Don't be in a hurry to get comfortable. You can, you know, sleep on people's floors and tour in a van and, 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 you know, make t-shirts for as cheap as possible, you know, do what you can to, you know, don't, don't use a crew. You don't need a crew. Um, you know, so keep your expenses as low as possible. And once you start to increase, then you can, you know, once you start to increase your income, then you can start to add more in terms of, comfortability crew production things of you know things of that yeah nature. i i agree i mean i think to me you know when i first started managing i didn't think of bands as businesses right i thought of them as bands and mm-hmm. knew that of course there was a business side to it but it's almost like business was a four-letter word this is art we're making art you know we're doing what we want and that's what we want to do and that's that's great. You know, I think that's at the core of what you and I want for artists, what you and I want for ourselves, you know, but it is at some point, if your goal is to make a living, you know, you have to start to think of it as a business. And so to me, as a guy that's run a small business or multiple small businesses, you know, for 15 years, I think, you know, you got to look at the totality of everything, right? So you are saying, yeah, I mean, where is that line between starting to hire crew? You know, what does that mean to the bottom line of a tour? Does it make you more comfortable on tour and and or allow you to do something else, a side hustle, you know, because you're not setting up your gear, but you're able to go and, you know, if you're a guitar player, potentially teach lessons, right? And what is that? What is that cost benefit analysis? And as well as, you know, not even on that specific level for an individual, what is it doing for your brand? Right? Like you and I have both at times had to invest in our brands out of the gates. You know, if I'm starting a new company and it's got no outside income, but I want a great logo, I got to pay for that logo somehow. That's an investment. Right. But Mm -hmm. I want the brand to be striking out of the gates. And so, you know, really want people to think about 
is what I'm doing either through direct money or through my time equity being on tour and not getting paid? Is it helping me build my brand so later on it will pay off and allow me to achieve my goal, right? Yep. So yes, sleeping on a floor, I've done it 100,000 times. You've probably done it even more. Not really what I want to do at my age, but you better believe if I think it's going to allow me to you know, spend some money elsewhere that is an investment, then I'll absolutely still do it if I have to. No doubt. I mean, look, uh, when I first, my first band, right, Cryptic Slaughter, we were signed to Metal Blade Records and everyone, you know, knows the story, but we were young. We lived at home. Like we were teenagers in high school, right? So we had nothing to lose. And like you said, we didn't look at our band as a business, right? We weren't like, it didn't even compute. It's like, we were just, we were just going to rehearsal and writing songs and making records and doing shows and touring when we could. And, and we were just doing all the things band guys do because it's fun and it's what we wanted to do, but in no way did we view it as a business. Now, right. In hindsight, I don't regret any of that because I don't think that we would be able to change any of it even if we wanted to. But what I'd like to point out is that for people listening that are just getting started is that you do need to view it as a business, but you do also need to go into it with the sole intent of it being fun and having fun with it. and doing everything associated with that like don't go into this with the intention of that you're going to be the next metallica or the next you know slipknot or you know go into it with the intention of having fun and if and if it becomes something bigger than that great but always keep in mind that it is a business and treat it as such as long as you're still having fun with it all right, I agree with you fundamentally, and and you know, as a dude who, you know, when I look back, you know, even in my time in uh, Good Clean Fun, right? Me and the singer always joke like we would make money on U.S. tours, you know, presumably European tours, and then we'd spend it going to Australia, right? Okay, I'm happy that at this point in my life that I've been to Australia, and the first time I went was with Good Clean Fun. That's awesome. I've been to South America, you know. And so had we viewed it as a business where we solely wanted to make money, we would have never made those choices and I wouldn't have those experiences. So I agree with you. That said, you know, there's a very fine line. I I think fun has to be the fundamental component of it. But, you know, you also do have to understand just as you and I do what we do because we love it, you know, it's still a job and it's still work. And, and though it's fun most of the time, it surely has its points where it's not fun. And a lot of those are because we are ensuring that we are, you know, doing the business, if you will, right? Making sure that, that, that our businesses are, you know, operational, functional, sustainable. And, and the yeah. same, same thing for bands. So I agree with you. Fundamentally, I guess I just wanted to make a really small distinction in regards to it can't just be fun, right? No, and and there's a fine line between 
fun and partying, right? Like, I just mean that if you go into, when, when you start this thing off, you have to go into it the mindset of let's have fun because yeah. then and only then will it have the ability to grow into something more than that. But if you grow, if, if you go into it with the expectations of we're going to make a living doing this, chances are, right, statistically speaking, you will be disappointed. And there's no point to do this. There's no point to learn an instrument. There's no point to find a bunch of other dudes and get in the jam room and, and go through the motions for all that to be disappointed. It's like you got to go into it with the intent of having fun because then then your expectations are met, right? If everyone leaves the jam room and goes, fuck, man, that was fun. Great. Yeah, rules. I, I agree. And I think that one in, one thing that I'd like to point out is, you know, in managing bands and managing bands, you know, a lot of developing artists who typically are young, right? You get started when you're young. Your priorities do change as you get older, you know? And I've noticed that, like, a kid hits the age of 25 – and, you know, again, this is a, a gross generalization, but maybe he sacrificed going to college. He or she sacrificed going to college. Parents, you know, weren't stoked, but said, cool, we want to support you. We love you. Come home, sleep in the basement, sleep on the couch. You know, that's cool when you're 18, 19, 21, 22, whatever. Typically around 24, 25, that's when the parents say, well, what the hell are you doing? Right. You're, you're still touring. You might be having fun, but. You're not making the dollars to get you out of the house or to, you know, whatever, right? So so I've noticed that bands start to say, that's typically the age of, okay, if we're going to continue to have fun, how do we make money, right? Yep. I mean, and, and so I've been through a lot of very painful conversations with artists at that juncture of, you don't just snap your fingers and make money, right? And a lot of them had laid a great foundation and were on the path to potentially make money, but, you know, wanted it sooner than it was coming. And, you know, I think, A, that's a, it's challenging to go through, and B, it's where, you know, I think artists have to sit down and really ask themselves, okay, what do I want out of this? You know, do I want to continue to make art? Do I want to continue to have fun? But how much, you know, do I need to make a living? And then if so, how do we do that, right? Is it is it that we start doing more things? Do we maximize our income streams from the band? Do we start to venture out into ancillary incomes because our band has a, a you know, a baseline brand that allows us to do things? you know, that will generate more money. So what's your experience or what do you yeah, think? Yeah, to, to me, like, because I, I look at it whenever I was coming up and surrounded by the people that I was surrounded by that <clears throat> aren't here. Like they're not in, they're not working in the music business, right? right? I mean, they're still around. They still, they're still alive, but they're, they, they, I was, the difference between me and those people and hopefully the listeners can pull something out of this is what you're willing to sacrifice yeah. for your quote unquote, you know, art or the pursuit of a career in music. Right. And I was willing to sacrifice more 
than anybody else. Now, is that the is that the sole reason that I'm here? No. But do I believe that it had a big part of it? Absolutely, yes. I was willing to sacrifice going to college, having having relationships, right? Sleeping on couches and floors, and I was willing to sacrifice comfort that, and yeah. and 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 a white picket fence with two point two kids and a dog and a you know what I mean and I, and a, and, a, and a job that was you know that I that I went to and hated every day, but it sustained that lifestyle. I didn't. I didn't want any of that, and I was willing to sacrifice all of that so that I could have what I have now. So, so and you know, yeah, I, I that's an amazing point, and I want to give a little reference first. I want to comment that I want to I want to see a point two of a little Blasco, um, you know, in the two point two kids. I, I want to see that little point <laughs> two running around. Yeah, amazing point. You know, I had the opportunity to work hand in hand with a guy who teaches entrepreneurship at a college. You know, he was, he was, he allowed his students to look at my businesses. Obviously I'm entrepreneurial and the difference because he came up in the startup world, not necessarily tech, although some of that, and you know, we bootstrap, right? That's what we do. We start with nothing. We, we put our sweat equity in, we hustle, we sacrifice, like you said, and, you know, that world is they come up with an idea and then they go get a bunch of money, you know, so they can have certain comforts, i.e. not sleeping on floors, not doing all of those sacrifices that you said. And so it was really interesting. I Yeah. I mean, what what I think I always knew, but it never verbalized was we put up with a lot of personal, you know, sacrifice is the best word. To yes, to get to where we are, um, and you're right. There aren't a lot of people who are willing to do that, and that is a key difference, not only in what you and I have done, but in in you know in bands because part of it is, yeah, just you know sticking around long enough to allow your initial investment to to pay off, right? I mean, I used to, and it's changed a little bit, but. I used to have this rule that like by the third album of a band, we really knew which direction it was, it was moving. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it was either the third out, you know, we built the foundation and they were popping off or, you know, trending that way. And the fourth album was going to give us the opportunity to blow up or they were more or less in the same place that they had been previously. You know, maybe they were capable of headlining a 500 cap room, but that ain't going to pay the bills. Um, and so, you know, again, you've got to be willing to sacrifice to, you know, and again, there's time before being signed and actually releasing an album. And then by the third album, I mean, yeah, you're eight to 10 years deep, right? Or at least six years deep. So that's a long time to to have to sacrifice for a lot of people. Um, but those who are willing to do it, I guess, are 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 the ones who at least know that they gave it the best shot they could. Totally. So, you know, the question here is, can bands, artists now, coming out now, can they build a sustainable career? I would say yes. Why, why, why would now be different than before? In fact, now, maybe it's even a little bit easier 
to at least see if there's a career in front of you because you can put your music on the same platforms that all successful artists are, right? You can you can put your music right next to the Metallicas and Beyonce's of the world. It's in the same stores that they're in, right? So, and you can put your music out into the world to see if people like it, right? And if people do like it and they and you start to build a word of mouth and you start to build some momentum, you can throw kindling on that on the on those sparks and turn them into flames right it can all be done from a digital perspective you do no longer have to kick it off by renting a van finding a bunch of dudes getting in the van and tirelessly driving across the country playing in front of two people you in theory in a lot of respects you do not have to do that anymore what you can start to do that once you develop some kind of momentum, you're going to get out there and that's going to happen. Right. Um, but, and I, and I also too, I got to mention that there's this sort of narrative that streaming has killed the music business or has kind of cut us off at the, at the knees by stripping away some, some stream of income that is, is helps us sustainable and helps us be sustainable. Whereas now, more than ever, an independent artist can actually make money from streaming and downloads and YouTube views. Like if you own your own music, if you own your publishing and you own your masters, there is way more opportunities to make money now to help sustain a career than ever you could before. Now, if you're an artist that your masters and publishing is owned by a record label or a publishing company, or you know, it's got r- roped into some entity that is taking ownership of your masters. Are you, are you making money from that? No, that's all going to recoup the advance that they gave you. But in the streaming world versus 10, 20 years ago in the album sales world, it's no different. You're still relatively not seeing album royalties um, unless you recoup and recoupment is a small percentage of bands that ever get to that point. So do the, the wait, let me wrap it up by saying, can an artist coming out now make a sustainable career in music? I say absolutely. Yes, I agree. And you know, you've got a lot of great points as always. I think one of the things when I, when I hear you say, it's just it's different, right? We're in a it's and I and I think that's key to point out because a lot of artists that have sort of stumbled through the transition from physical to streaming, the difference is the dynamic of when you see money. And this goes back to sacrifice, right? Like or you know, if you're going to get signed, and and I I have nothing. I mean, I run a record label. Of course, I'm not trying to encourage people not to get signed. There is, you know, a cost benefit analysis. Is giving away certain rights going to, you know, ultimately give me validation, which moves my band up, which you know, to a level that allows me to make money in other ways. Um, but I think where a lot of artists do focus on that, like, well streaming has hurt the industry is because it used to be that a record label 
could give you an advance that that not only allowed you to go and record with a great producer, but allowed you to live, allowed you to write. And that isn't as huge of a sacrifice as what's required now. Like you said, you know, you, you, I mean, the ability to write and record and do all these things does exist. You can get it out there. It can be that kindling. That said, you probably aren't going to be able to do it with somebody else's money, paying your rent, paying your, you know, coffee, paying your dinner, whatever it is. And so I would agree with you. Absolutely is the ability to make a living. Um, it's just that the the way that people used to do it, or at least be given the shot to do it, is absolutely different. It's a different dynamic than what it is now. Does that make sense? Without a doubt. Um, you know, look, it, it's it's simple to say, but the reality is, Mike, it's hard now. And guess what? It was hard then. <laughs> you know, like it's. But if you're willing. If you're willing to put in the work and accept the fact that there are challenges in front of you, really, now versus 20 years ago, isn't that much. Yeah, and and I guess this is an extension of that last point. I think a lot of artists who have this Pandora's box or this, you know, great opportunity to go generate ancillary incomes you know, or their own incomes if they own it, like you said, on these platforms, they do fundamentally kind of have to do more work, right? They do. They've got yeah. to to put in more effort, presumably, than an artist who was given a big advance, you know, was able to work with a great producer, you know, and then, of course, you know, there's a small percentage that actually go on to whatever level, and are able to make a living just as it's a small percentage now. But I, again, I think part of why artists focus on that transition point is, you know, you and I have talked about it on previous episodes. VIP income in our world didn't exist until, until it had to exist, right? Yeah. But I've had artists say, well, yeah, I mean, now I got to do another hour worth of work to sign, you know, to, you know, and, they're not complaining, you know, they they want to meet their fans, they want to sign stuff, but yeah, it's an hour that other artists used to be able to, you know, sit around or go to the gym or whatever people do when they've got an extra hour on a tour. And so the opportunity is absolutely there, especially if you've built, you know, a core brand and people trust you and trust your band, but it does take work. More work than it did previously to me agreed well let's uh wrap it up man i think that it's all there and um you you and i could talk about this for hours and hours and hours and it's fun to me to to unpack this stuff especially with a guy like you who you know you've made a great career it's been different than mine we've managed different artists so yeah awesome no doubt no doubt we went a little long today but Look, this is probably the single most important issue. And, you know, uh, Mike and I, uh, uh, we, we don't have crystal balls, you know, but we put in the work and, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, we're proof that you can make a living in this business, right? We, we do it so it can be done. We're not magicians. We weren't, uh, we weren't gifted. Um, we didn't win our companies in a, in a, in a lottery, um, you know, so, um, 
But and there's anyway. ebbs and flows, right? I mean, in your business as well as mine, and in Ban's business, you know, there's times that you're making more money, and there's times that you're making less money. And again, understanding that it is a journey, and what is your level of comfort? What is your what are you willing to sacrifice in the times of you know uh, famine? And are you able to appreciate the times that you're feasting, right? So, yeah, thanks for uh, listening uh, all the way through. If, if you made it all the way through, thanks for uh, letting us riff on this subject that is uh, highly important. And um, as always, thanks for tuning in. This was episode number 62. Uh, we will be back here next week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blasco1313. We encourage you to email us any questions or comments you may have for the podcast to me directly at askblasco at gmail.com. If you have listened this far, much respect to you for making efforts to educate yourselves and taking your future into your own hands. Mike, what you got? Yeah, this was a fun one to me. I like that, you know, we got to do it a little bit free form and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Loop. Don't hesitate to go and support our sponsors, rockabilia.com. They got the code PCJabberJaw, which gives you 15% off your entire order. Uh, Banzoogle.com, the code MENTAL gives you 15% off of uh, a subscription over there. And last but not least, uh, check out the coaching platform, OuterLoopCoaching.com, where we give you tools and insights how to set yourself up to have a brand of a band which ultimately will allow you to have a career so cool stuff over there uh blasco always a pleasure my brother um yeah peace yep thanks everybody This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.